0: okay with just days to go before the end of the year it's a fun time to talk about what happened this year so welcome back to the podcast that helps you the 54 percent of the country that votes for progress in every election convince your conservative friends and family members to join a majority this is majority 54. ravi we got some categories where do you want to go first
1: yeah let's start with our favorite new leaders of the year let's start on a positive note you know, and new leader just means somebody who's kind of hit your radar in a different kind of way. Obviously, often people have been in political life in, in, in some way, shape or form before. Um, who do you want to start with? Uh,
0: I will start with someone who is not new to my radar or yours, but I think, and frankly, is not even on the nation's radar yet, but will be, I think, in the relatively near future. And that is Governor Westmore from Maryland. Um Folks who've been listening to this show for a while are probably familiar with Wes. He's been on the show before. Uh, if you're not, he was—you know—he was elected last year, but he took office this year. So I decided it counts as a new leader this year. It's his first elected office. He is the first uh, African American governor of Maryland. Uh, he is a combat veteran, a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, more than anything, uh, I, I almost—even though his book came out a decade ago, I could almost use it for the book category too, because his book, The Other Wes Moore is a, is a truly extraordinary memoir, uh, because it is, it's his story about becoming friends with a guy who grew up one neighborhood over with a very similar background and the exact same name as him uh, around the same age. And, you know, and, and that guy ended up, uh, serving life in prison for murder while Wes Uh, you know, went on to do all of these uh, illustrious things. And so, and it was about, it was really a book about um, the little things that happen in one's life that he didn't really take his own, take credit for. He was saying, you know, one little difference here or there, and I could be, I could be the other Westmore. Um, And so it really humanizes uh, people who, who have struggled and who have ended up incarcerated. And that's just a fascinating kind of person to have as a governor. He's also a friend of mine. And I just think, I think he's going to be president one day. So I think people should start paying attention to Wes Moore, the governor of Maryland.
1: Love Wes. Uh, mine, uh, and I'll do two honorable mentions, uh, but uh, mine is, the guy I've got on my radar this year is this guy, Mike Johnston, not Johnson, uh, who is the the mayor, uh, newly elected mayor of Denver, Colorado. Um, let's go to a clip. Uh, this is him, I think in his, his victory speech on election night.
0: An oath to dream, to serve, and to deliver. The essence of democracy is that it calls on our ability to do something that feels unnatural. To love those who are different than us. To believe in them, to work with them, to sacrifice for them, to deliver for them. That is our dream of Denver.
1: So he's got this sort of inclusive message, and in particular he will he will rise or fall based on his ability to tackle both homelessness and the migrant crisis alongside each other so he's got a he's got a full plate and and i'm i'm really curious to see you know he's an energetic guy he's a former school leader he he was a teacher down in the mississippi delta really fascinating guy really inspiring guy very smart very capable uh you know fairly young 49 years old he looks like he's 12 and he he to me is if he can, if I'm betting on somebody in a very difficult urban situation, tackling homelessness and the migrant crisis and showing us how to do it with humanity and kindness, it would be him. It is a difficult task, but I'm really excited to see him try.
0: That's interesting too, because he's doing it in in a, in a place that's growing really fast. You know, Denver is becoming like San Francisco East, uh, but also Within a state uh, that has unorthodox politics, like you're a big, yeah. you know, we're both big, big Polish fans. Bag. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm waiting for somebody uh, to come out of Colorado
1: and really do, like do well in national politics, become president or something. Because I do think like it it breeds a certain kind of idiosyncratic politician who I think can appeal across the aisle. Uh, but my two honorable mentions really quickly, one is Nick Melvoin. He's running for Adam Schiff's congressional seat. He's currently on the school board and in LA. He's just a very courageous, capable guy, super courageous for kids. Has somehow managed to um, you know, win the support of key unions, like the sort of service unions when they went on strike, but also push for certain bold reforms within the district. And he's kind of a truth teller who somehow survived in politics and a really fascinating guy. Uh, and then Lauren Underwood, somebody you and I know well, mm-hmm. who just keeps on keeping on in Congress mm-hmm. uh, and just fighting the good fight, who's just somebody who's so capable, so smart, from former nurse from Naperville, uh, who's been hanging on in a tough district and uh, trying to keep her sanity in Congress. Uh, just have so much respect for her. All
0: right. Uh, you can go first on scandals of the year. Most top, memorable top scandals. scandals. Like,
1: I yeah. almost think Santos shouldn't count, uh, but if you use Santos, Ooh. I won't get mad at you. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. Mine is Clarence Thomas. It's just so deep, uh you know I wouldn't say it's a fun scandal, but I mean, we've got his remember it's all started with his wife, who you know has been very you know sort of insurrection friendly um and who's been uh you know was deeply it seems involved in conversations in and around January sixth with the White House and then You know, we, as we discussed, it came out that Thomas heard a case on January 6th involving the January 6th committee, didn't recuse himself. So you have all of that. And then we started to get this avalanche of just, you know, information about um, gifts that Thomas has gotten that vary from, I think, involving his like famous RV that somehow is supposed to make us think he's an everyman to uh, money for. Uh, Private school tuition to expensive jets. I mean, you just go on and on and on. It's just honestly, there's so many. I forget how many gifts he's gotten that he hasn't disclosed. And now it culminates in the Supreme Court now finally tightening, uh, not enough, but tightening their ethics. Uh, There's no real enforcement. But I mean, just what a scandal! I mean, meaningful, never ending, and you know, there's there's enough sort of insight into his personal life to expose him as a fraud. I think it's. It's just, I think it's a lot, you know, that's mine for this. Yeah,
0: no. Yeah, Um. I think it's a good one and not a good one, but I think it's a good choice. Uh, and I think uh, I, you're right about Santos. I was going to use Santos because it's hilarious and fun to talk about um, and because it allows me to reference The Distinguished Gentleman, which is a hilarious movie. Um, but really, that scandal started last year. And part of the reason that we knew so much about that scandal is that it happened during like, like one year ago this time when there was like no news at all. And so everybody knew all about George Santos as a result, but that's not mine. Um, I was really torn because uh, I wanted to say something smart uh, and, and it's just, but it's hard to get around. So I have a tie because it's hard to get around the fact that everything Donald Trump, like, uh, you know, being indicted, what four times? Um, it it this just ne- it's like the biggest scandal in American history. <laughs> so, yes. so I feel like I, I I have to acknowledge that. But I'm tired of talking about Donald Trump, uh, and so I am going to choose the Dominion settlement um, oh, yeah. with Fox News because, um, because it 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 gifted us all of those incredible behind the scenes looks. At Fox, like the text messages where Tucker Carlson was saying that he hates Trump, uh, and that they were so frustrated uh, that they had to go on TV and pretend uh, that the election was stolen when it wasn't, and then they went on TV and said the election was stolen. So to me, um, that's my most memorable scandal of the year, just because it 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 truly revealed what a bunch of terrible actors, both in the you know acting sense and in the bad actor sense uh the folks at fox are all
1: right well let's talk books that was a good choice by the way and i by the way i have totally forgotten that trump i don't even think about it as a scandal because he's like i know
0: right it's know, just part of the course it's just
1: obviously true yeah uh well okay books i mean this is a great year for books uh, there. It's hard to pick number one. I, I'll definitely have some honorable mentions here, but I think the best book I read this year is *The Creative Act* by Rick Rubin and Neil Strauss. This book is unbelievable. I was not expecting it to be that good. I I had never been like a big Rick Rubin guy necessarily. Um, I know Neil, but the 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 book is so inspiring and beautifully written and poetic and mystical it almost is like a creative bible it actually looks kind of like a bible and honestly you'll read it it'll inspire you to do great things and then it, it, you'll keep coming back to it it's the kind of thing like if you do any creative work on a daily basis you can almost like open it to almost any page read a couple of things almost as like a quick inspiration for you it's it's beautiful so that's my top book
0: Hmm. all right well look uh trying to come up with books for this category made me say to myself, I need to do more reading um, <laughs> because, uh, I just, I'm not good about reading a lot of books. Um, I read a few books a year. My wife reads like two books a week. Um, and so I will be kind of basic and start by saying my wife had her third book come out this year. It's called go big or go home. And it's really good. And it's anybody who. Uh, wants to persuade anyone of anything um should read this book um it's about the neuroscience of pitching, meaning you know selling uh, but but then, as evidence that i I read uh, stuff that is just i don't i read at bedtime and I read at bedtime and when I read at bedtime, I don't want to be um, i don't want it, things to be too thought provoking because I want to go to sleep. <laughs> I don't want them to have too much uh, to do with what I do for a living, which could either be veteran stuff, it could be politics, it could, you know, it could be all those sorts of things. I don't want it to get my wheels spinning. Um, and I don't, and I don't want it to be frightening. So I don't read stuff about like the future of, you know, democracy. So I read purely for pleasure at bedtime. Uh, and my favorite book that I read this year was written by my friend Joe pisnanski uh, and it is a baseball book, and it is called Why We Love Baseball. And uh, it's just you know, if you like baseball at all, it's, it's a countdown of the 50 uh, greatest moments in baseball history, according to Joe. But Joe is like, even if you're not into sports, you should read Joe Pesnansky because he's one of those writers who when you read him, he, he writes a column every day on a Substack, And when you read him, you realize this guy loves to write and he loves to think about things and just write about them. And, uh, and that's why Joe is, is one of my favorite writers. So the book is called Why We Love Baseball.
1: Well, you know, maybe Supriya, if she's listening, should listen. I, I, I tried to get her to watch the Ken Burns baseball documentary, and she legitimately got mad at me for it. Like it was, it just didn't translate. Which is anymore. funny because
0: she's quite a football fan.
1: Yeah, I don't
0: like a I, Bills fan. You've turned her into a, into a major I, Bills fan.
1: I thought, I thought the the Ken Burns baseball documentary is so beautiful that it would translate, but it it didn't. But it, I guess you have to be. Like, at least somewhat interested in baseball, but like, probably also American to love that because it's such an Americana piece, yeah. You it's know? a
0: nostalgia thing,
1: yeah. I mean, what a beautiful, I mean, not actually, I mean, such talented people. Okay, you so need to, the, you need to
0: show her Bull Durham, is what you need to show her,
1: yeah. I mean, there's some, I mean, League of Their Own, um,
0: yeah, that's the one, League movie. of Their Own, that's a good one.
1: I think that's honestly my favorite baseball movie, is a League of Their Own um great long pissing scene uh yeah. the for me it's the, for me it's moneyball oh yeah i always think of that as a business uh yeah it kind of it is on. uh okay uh some some honorable mentions there's a book called ghosts of the orphanage by this woman named christine Keneally, which is about this is you know going to be a bit of a downer but it's about a, a abusive orphanage in vermont and um it's horrific but also goes into the history of orphanages which is you know, incredible, uh, you know, underreported saga in American history about like where we used to send kids. Um, and there, you know, Annie and all these sort of pop culture, you know, representations of orphans don't even touch how horrible these places were. Uh, and so you could read that and just talks about like the, you know, international orphan scene. Uh, There's a book called Outlive by Peter Atia that is just an amazing, comprehensive I think summary of where science is now about like living as happy and healthy and long as you possibly can. That book is just totally spot on. This is a book called Die With Zero by Bill Perkins, which is really about how to think about money uh, throughout your life. Like how do you spend money, how to spend it at the right time in the right ways. Uh, so those are those are the books that really have kind of caught me this year. Um All right. Yeah. I will
0: do one more honorable mention in the sort of meathead category of my book recommendation so far, which is is like a book that feels like a sports book. You think it's going to be, and it's secretly an awesome local history book. Um, and it's a book called Kingdom Quarterback, uh, Rustin Dodd, and I forgot his co- I forgot his co author's name. Um, it is so on the cover of the book, it looks like it's just a book about Patrick Mahomes, right, and. It's marketed that way oh brilliantly, God. and I'm sure it's sold a lot of books as a result. Listeners hear, the book, you,
1: you can't hear the, my eyes rolling, but there, there <laughs> we go. Keep going. Sorry. Well, what
0: the book is actually about, it's partially about Mahomes, uh, his like journey, his rise, but it's really uh, about his rise within the context of Kansas City's uh, racial history. And and what's really interesting about the book is it is it is truly um, a, a, the story of the urban renewal policies of the seventies, uh, and the racial inequities they created in, in cities across the country. And looking specifically at Kansas city, which honestly, Kansas city pioneered sadly, um, the racially restrictive covenants and, and, uh, segregation policies through like homes association rules and that kind of thing. Um, And it just catalogs using the chiefs as the storytelling device, uh, including uh, lots of chiefs players who, you know, were very popular in town, but were not allowed to live in certain neighborhoods. Uh, And and so it, it goes through that history. And really, if you read the book, what you end up with at the end, in addition to like, if you're a football fan, you'll enjoy those parts. But what you end up with at the end is a real understanding of how American cities, particularly uh, in the Midwest, came to be formed the way they are and how the traditional red lines still seem to be in place. And so that was a really cool book, and and it was an unexpected uh, pleasure to to find all the history in it.
1: Oh, amazing. Well, okay, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors when we come back. We'll talk about our favorite movies, our favorite apps. We'll talk about our personal highlights of the year, and then we will make some predictions for next year when we get back. If you're a long-time listener to this podcast, you know that I've been drinking AG1 for years, well before they ever sponsored this podcast. And it is the first thing I drink in the morning. I'm a big coffee guy, but I always have AG1 before I drink any coffee. And this allowed me not only to replace my multivitamin, but Also, it includes prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes for gut support, magnesium, and B vitamins for energy support and adaptogens to help balance stress. And then vitamin Z and zinc to support my immune health, which is so critical this time of year. I recommend AG1 to all my friends and family. I recommended it to Jason before we even did this podcast together, and I think he got on that train um, pretty early on as well. And what I see from friends and family who, who drink AG1 and have incorporated this into their life, is that um, you get more energy, you have more pep to your step, you're just healthier. So if you want to take ownership over your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com majority. That's drinkag1.com majority to check it out. Sleep is incredibly important. Like, there are just now reams and reams of podcasts, whether it's Andrew Huberman or anybody like that, just talking about whether it's your mental health, your physical health, uh, your stress response, just you being emotionally present with the people around you, you know, concentrating on work, whatever it is, getting a great night's sleep is central to so many things in your life. And that's why it's really important to get the right mattress. Like, I think traditionally what we've done, we just go to the mattress store and we just say, hey, I want a mattress, right? They may have a couple different options. What I love about Helix is that they give you a sleep quiz. You take that quiz. Uh, it takes no time. I finished mine in under two minutes and they'll match you to the mattress that's right for you because uh, we have so many different preferences, ways of sleeping, body types. Uh, and I took the quiz and I was matched with a midnight lux mattress because I like a medium uh, mattress and I sleep on my side. Uh, And you could take that quiz and and find the right mattress for you. And my sleep has improved dramatically uh, since I've taken that quiz and gotten a Helix mattress. Uh, And you don't have to take my word for it. Helix Sleep has over 12,000 five-star reviews. And they're offering 20% all, off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's 20% off. That is such an amazing deal. Go to helixsleep.com slash majority54. This is their best offer yet. It certainly is the best one I remember, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Majority54 is sponsored by BetterHelp. Look, I know that this is a difficult time of year for a lot of people. We're between holidays, and it's that period of time where people are sprinting for work. Uh, it's also a period of time where you see your family members, which for some people can unearth some things—either you know things involving those family members or just things within yourself that come to the surface when you see people uh, that you've known your entire life, right? And this is why I think it's really important to find somebody to talk to. Uh, and finding the right kind of therapist. And I know for a lot of you, you are in small communities, or you might be in suburbs, or you might even be in neighborhoods within bigger cities, and you either have limited options, uh, and I know this is a time of year where it's really hard to get the right kind of booking in that right brick-and-mortar therapy shop, but also you might be self-conscious. You might uh, be worried about who you're going to run into in the waiting room, et cetera, or there just might not be a lot of flexibility to schedule for the people you want, or uh, and this is my m- what I love most about our sponsor BetterHelp is you just want as many options as possible and they have so many licensed therapists for you to talk to all around the country and if you don't like your therapist you could switch. Uh, it's entirely o- online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule and you can just fill out a brief questionnaire and you can get matched with the licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge and so in the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash M54 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash M54. All right, Jason, movies. Uh, and I'm going to kind of group together movies and TV uh, because I don't think you and I are either that prolific in either of these areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the a lot of my stuff is rewatches or things that had existed before this year that I came back to um maybe that's a statement of just what's out there right now but i would say um i think i've mentioned this on previous pods maybe even year end pods but maybe this is becoming an annual watch for me but there's this documentary called his own life by about alver Sachs, who's a physician in um who was a physician he he passed away a couple years ago but he uh, if you've ever seen the movie Awakenings, Robin Williams plays uh, Oliver Sacks uh, during one particular part of Oliver Sacks' life, but he was a um, a scientist uh, and doctor who studied uh, patients who had sort of anomalous uh, mental conditions. And he he was very much an observational scientist in the sense that he he spent time and would write these narratives of the sort of inner life of his patients and really connected with them on a personal way. And then he wound up becoming a New Yorker writer while he was a doctor. So he's written so many beautiful articles. He's one of the best writers I've just ever read, period. And he's written from everything from his journeys on psychedelics to weightlifting to science to medicine to being an outcast. He's gay and, like, you know, he went like 50 years without having any relationship. So he's written about that. I mean, he's just an incredibly inspiring human being. Uh, And I think the documentary, which I think you can get on Amazon, uh, is incredible. Um, So that is my constant rewatch. I think it's a good thing to watch if you're just like, kind of over the cynicism of our times and to just to spend a little bit of time with somebody who is truly idealistic in every way in his life and a a full original. um, Can't recommend it enough.
0: Uh, Okay, I am gonna watch that. I chose a documentary and uh, a couple of documentaries and and a feature. Okay, so for documentaries, I feel first, um, there's a documentary called Here is Better, which it came out this year and I, I feel I should mention it because it—you're in it. it. profiles, yeah, it profiles me and, and three other <laughs> veterans, uh, and and I, my wife and I, agreed to be part of it because it's, uh, it's stories about people, um, going into treatment for PTSD and and getting better. And most stories about PTSD are not about that, even though most people who enter treatment for PTSD do get better. Um, and so it's called Here Is Better, and I would encourage people to to see that. Um, also, I am. Uh, I've just finished watching a documentary. I can't remember what it's called, um, about Tom Petty, uh, that I don't remember. It came out sometime this year and it's just, it's a bunch of old found footage from when he made the wildflowers album. And what I like about it is, um, I just kind of put it on in the background and it's just Tom Petty talking about Tom Petty things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just chill. Uh, and then I tried to look up, man, this is part of having two kids. Um, I tried to look up, like the best movies of this year and movies that came out. And I was like, surely I saw some of these. And honestly, I saw one of them uh, and it was great, but it was air. Uh, oh, you I know think, the- yeah, I thought
1: air was really good. Uh, what an yeah. amazing opening segment I, with the music and everything. I mean, I, was, uh-huh. it, I mean, I like the dialogue. It's like really good. I mean, it kind of is just like it, it doesn't quite go where you need it to go to be amazing, but it's like really fun watch. It's a nice uh,
0: nostalgia treat.
1: Yeah. Well, the opposite of air, and I had mentioned this before, and I think it came out the year before, but I watched Navalny on my way back from India, which I cannot ra- recommend enough. This guy is as inspiring as anybody in political life I've ever seen. I mean, anytime you think of like what courage means on this side of the ocean versus in some other places, it is – or maybe this side of the ocean is the wrong metaphor, but in this country, is he? this guy was – Putin tried to poison him and the way he, there's just a scene I've talked about it a little bit before where on the documentary, he gets the people who poisoned him to admit on the phone that they poisoned him, which is one of the most riveting scenes I've ever seen in anything fictional or non-fictional. Uh, and actually if it were fictional, nobody would believe it. Yeah. He then has to go after he's poisoned, he goes to Germany to, to get treatment and can live in Germany for the rest of his life. And then he decides, I'm going to, and he has a kid. He's got a wife that he loves. And he gets back on the airplane, goes back to Russia, and has been in prison ever since. And he basically got on that plane knowing that's what would happen. And I would like to think I'm a strong human being and I have my beliefs, but to get on an airplane to go to spend the rest of your life in a Russian prison for a cause is exceptional. Intense. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's, it's wild. Okay. I'll just say one, I,
0: I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, no question.
1: I, I honestly think about him a lot. It's weird. You know, like I'll just be walking around and being like, man, like, wonder what's going on with this guy? Because you could physically see him transform. He's like a good-looking, mm-hmm. charismatic guy. And every time he makes a public appearance, he's kind of wasting away. I mean, God, Putin's such an animal. Yeah. Um, but the one segue for us. So in terms of a yearly rewatch, you mentioned this the other day. Uh, you mentioned Band of Brothers, Mm -hmm. so we don't have much TV going on here. But Band of Brothers is now available on Netflix, and Band of Brothers for people who haven't listened to it or watched it is a six part, maybe eight part. I can't remember. Uh, dramatic, historical remake uh, that I think is pretty. uh, You know, I think it is pretty. Spot on, from what I understand, with the Stephen Ambrose book called Band of Brothers. Uh, it's a remake of the Easy Company, what do we call it, unit or whatever, that w- that flew in behind uh, Normandy, uh, the storming of Normandy, mm-hmm. uh, and basically made possible the invasion. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. getting all this military stuff. On. Sure. Is so
0: Easy Company was a paratrooper unit um and uh so the parachute infantry regiment that went in at d day but yes, parachuted in, didn't parachute it in uh and to to like attack the guns and that kind of thing from behind, and then proceeded to be you know a major part of the invasion uh of Europe, and they were at every every major engagement
1: i mean i i after you said that, I put it on in the background while I was doing something, and I quickly realized I'm incapable of having it on without being totally sucked in. Honestly, I think it might be the best thing on tv that i've ever seen like Mm -hmm. there's not a few things that have ever moved me in that way and then just continue to every time you watch it and there's a lot of easter eggs in it like there's this episode about um what is it baston or whatever it's called like the the yeah yeah Mm baston uh and there's just so many different ways in which this group of young people i mean they're so freaking young went through hell and back and had each other's backs. And it's like a real testament to what is good leadership, what's bad leadership. There's incredible actors who are at the beginning of their careers in it, like Damian Lewis. Mm -hmm. And uh, the payoffs are among the best payoffs in anything you're ever going to watch. Like when they're up in the sort of eagle's nest, like in the Mm -hmm. final episode, second, last episode, and um, the war has come to an end and they're just kind of you know, hanging out and drinking, you know, the invading the sort of Nazi liquor cabinets up there. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Damien Lewis character is is going for a swim and it's just like these little moments where you're just like, man, I don't know if there's ever been a payoff in anything on TV. And the interesting thing is for a lot of people, they think of it and they might not like something like Saving Private Ryan, which is a lot of shooting. What's going on? I'm confused. And what's weird about Band of Brothers is I feel that way about movies. Anytime there's a movie where there's just like all these action scenes and war and all that, I'm like, my head is spinning. I imagine you have your own reasons why you don't like those. (laughs) And, uh, but for some reason, this one, they have done such a great job of characterization and making you buy into the characters that these scenes are as riveting as anything you've ever seen before. So it's, it's a, it's a rewatch for me. I watch it at least once a year. Uh, Yeah. So do
0: I. Like anytime it's on, I get, I get into it. Um, The thing about, there's a lot of things about it that make it so exceptional. One is that, It's based on real people, but it's based on real people who absent Stephen Ambrose choosing to profile that unit, would not, they wouldn't be historical figures of any kind, which means it's a way to really dive in to what that experience was like uh, with real human beings, um, but not people who have been characterized in any other way. And one of the most, to me, most special things about the way they made that series is, as you know, at the end of every episode, it, it ends with um, the, the people who are the actual participants talking about their experience and summarizing sort of the themes and the events that were just covered in the episode, but you don't know who they are. Uh, and you don't realize until the final episode, when they actually put the names on the screen, you don't, that's when you realize how true to life the depictions were, because you see and the reason they don't show you who they are is because they don't want you to know who lives and who yeah. makes it through to the end. But then at the end when you realize, and then, you, and then you're able to piece it together like with their, because they're from all over the country with their accents, with the way they look. You're like, oh, that is <laughs> that guy. That is that guy. And it, it just makes it so much more special. And I think, I think the reason I love it is in addition to it being an incredible primer on leadership, it's also it, very few things have gotten quite so close to capturing the the camaraderie dynamic and and the the idea of like ordinary people doing exceptional things for one another that is the military so yeah i mean not yeah. what we intended to talk about but yes go to netflix yeah. and watch and, band of brothers
1: and a good companion is and and we're like two old men who just tell the same stories over and over again but the <laughs> uh the, the other I, i've definitely mentioned this on the podcast at one point but the Pacific is also really interesting, which is the kind of companion piece about World War II and the Pacific uh, campaign, which is a very different vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think I said this at some point, maybe a year or two ago, but that one is dark uh, mm-hmm. in a way that the Band of Brothers, I would say, is uplifting, even as it's sad and, you know, a lot of people die, but it's inspiring in a certain kind of way. The Pacific is, I think that I, I didn't fully grasp how horrible. Um, it was out there. I mean, I theoretically, I did. We learned it in history class, but they did a really good job of putting it on the screen.
0: Um, yeah, the yeah. Pacific is like uh, House of Cards to Banner Brothers, being like West Wing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, yeah,
1: but like uh, cynicism not being in the service of some kind of dramatic need right. for directors, but it just being like a very, very brutal campaign. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> weird segue. Let's talk apps, Jason. Uh, <laughs> what what has been your 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 what do you what do you have on your phone or don't have on your phone that's a highlight of this year?
0: Uh, the app on my phone that I I I really want it to come to fruition and be a thing is Threads, which is Instagram's uh, you know, not response to Twitter, but attempt to uh, recreate Twitter in its you know, purest and less insurrection y form. Um because now like I I can't even I still go on Twitter and will tweet stuff occasionally and I and every time I do I'm like, why did I do that? It's just brutal. Um I mean you saw last week I you may have seen I I tweeted something innocuous about the name of the Chiefs where I oh, oh you, didn't you did I, see because you were, you know, it's funny, the you were last welcoming thing me did to, did to become a Twitter, Bills fan. Who here. knows
1: what the hell is going on in my mentions, but because I have to go through basically Fort Knox to tweet. So I actually figured out how to go on and tweet just so I could, you could say, do that. Say do that. Who the hell knows what people actually the Chiefs, your fans have still not forgiven me for a tweet I sent two years ago about Josh Allen being better than Mahomes. They still find sure. it. I think I might have even deleted the tweet, but I still get photos of the tweet and people every time gosh Allen does something dumb they like to remind me of it
0: well uh yeah i the funny thing is i was actually in my mind what i was responding to was every time i i post something on on any uh platform where i'm just cheering for my team i get people from the left who are like how can you cheer for that team with that racist name and with the tomahawk chop and all that and so in my mind what i was doing is i was saying look yeah i think." you know, if they're not going to change the chop, if they're not going to change the Native American, like iconography, then they should change the name to like the Kings. But either way, like, sorry, this is my team. And I'm always going to cheer for my team. It was just my way of being like, Hey, I, I can, yeah, I can
1: basically you want to make nobody happy is what you're, it, that's what it was. Yeah. But I was just
0: saying, like, I could be sympathetic to the argument about, you know, the Tomahawk chop and all that. And I don't do the chop. And I, and it doesn't require me to stop being a fan of my team. Well, nobody heard that part. It was just Kansas Cityans being like, you know <laughs> go jump off a building <laughs> and uh anyway so that was it was just a reminder that twitter now x now is built to just not show what you say to people who will like it but to only show it to people who it will make them so mad that they will reply and and so anyway <laughs> threads doesn't seem to be like that but it clearly doesn't have as many people on it like i've you know with all these people leaving Twitter. Uh, Over the last year since Musk took over, I've gone from like 400,000 followers to like uh, 350,000. I mean, it's like 50,000 people just who follow me have left the platform. And on threads, I only have like 25,000 followers, but it's just so much more pleasant. And it's not like everybody agrees with me. It's just that when they disagree, they seem to be nicer about it. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah, I, just, I think Instagram
1: culture generally is is healthier. Not that any yes. of these things... I mean, this is a good segue for mine. It's just this app called Opal. Uh, and Opal allows you to uh, block certain apps on your phone, either period or for certain parts of the day. And so I have Instagram and other social media apps blocked from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every single day. Jeez. And it's just been great. It, it just takes one distraction. Um, out of my life. So that sounds like day. a
0: great idea that unfortunately I won't do. Uh, <laughs> which is sad. Uh, okay, uh, personal highlights of the year. Um, mine is easy. Uh, it is um, people who have followed the show for a while know that uh, I've got involved in August of 2021 with trying to get my translator's family, who I've grown very close to, out of Afghanistan. And uh, we were able to do that along with a lot of other people uh, in September of 2021, but then they all were in Albania in sort of limbo for a very long time, not knowing whether they would get to resettle in the United States. And in, on June 1st of this year, we finally won that battle with regard to the family that I started Afghan rescue project to help in the first place. And that's the Roufi family, the Roufi family, uh, chose to come to Kansas City because in their words, they wanted to be near family, which is us. They, they didn't really have anybody else in the U.S. And so all 14 members of the Raoufi family who are incredible people who risked everything to protect others in Afghanistan uh, and and then got themselves out with our help uh, now live, you know, six minute drive from from my house. And we're all extremely close. And like we have dinner with them as a family, you know, a couple of nights a week. And like, we're all family, it's it's truly an expansion of our family. And it has been uh, amazing for a lot of reasons, one of which is, like I said, they're just wonderful people. Um, But another is selfishly, uh, you know, after everything else of like not knowing if any of what we did would ever work. But uh, the other payoff that I never expected is, um, you know, when you're raising kids into a certain amount of privilege, and wondering, uh and and hoping that there's something you can do to give them some sort of perspective on the world and and not you know and not uh just be completely entitled you know for them to end up with like what are basically cousins uh because they're so close to them who are really just starting out and and are having a refugee experience you know with our help but still it's a it's a very it's you know starting with very um modest means it's just that has been an unexpected, wonderful thing to see. Like my son, for instance, uh, not necessarily need the top of the line, everything, the way his classmates are getting it and understand like, you know, well, yeah, I'm going to, for soccer, I'm going to go ahead and go to the plate against sports and use, and get used cleats because that's what Samim is doing. And so it's fine, you know? And, and so that's, uh, that's just been a really cool and they're just it's the greatest thing i've ever done in my life and to finally have it come to fruition and get them here was obviously extremely cool
1: wow yeah that that's amazing uh i can't i can't wait to meet them the uh yeah my highlight i mean this was a quite a year uh but i think the the highlight had to be visiting my dad's village which i've talked about on this podcast before like visiting the village with him and and people could go back and listen to whatever episode that was. I mean there's just a lot happening this year, you know. Uh I turned forty, you know, had a you know a bunch of friends down in Costa Rica and all that. Bought a new place, moved into a new place, um, Supria, I bought a piece of land in Costa Rica. There's, you know, I there's just like, you know, all my crazy sort of like exploits in terms of the per vita open and all this kind of stuff there's just I, I was looking back on this year and i'm like this is just a crazy amount of stuff going on this year uh and so yeah great great year turn 40. can't complain
0: for you. all right what's next predictions
1: predictions yeah what do you got
0: man my only prediction is this is gonna suck um <laughs> sorry I, I i'm not talking about the outcome i'm just talking about like this next this election in 2024 is going to be a slog and we're not going to know what's going to happen and we're going to have to work really hard even though it's not going to be particularly inspiring day in and day out because it's going to be Trump against Biden and when i say not inspiring i mean look Biden's done a lot of really good things but you're not going to have that many friends who you're going to have a really easy time getting really excited about Joe Biden and Donald Trump is it's incredible that he's still a part of our lives and a a greater threat in our lives than he's ever been and so it's just going to be really hard and my prediction is it's going to be really hard and i don't know what's going to happen um but honestly i'm pretty frightened uh it's not even a prediction that's just me kvetching um i don't know i you know other than that i think the royals are going to get closer to 500 than they've gotten in several years and the chiefs will win the super bowl
1: (laughs) uh I would predict the Bills winning the Super Bowl, but I think they'd have to win every game for the rest of the season, including this one against the Chiefs this weekend. And fate has not been on our side this year. Uh, but You so, should fly uh, in.
0: We should go again. Yeah, not this year. Uh, <laughs> I know you don't want to. <laughs> uh,
1: I would say the... I would say a bit like predictions... I mean, these are, these are a bit out on a limb here. I have this feeling, and maybe this is just wishful thinking. I have a feeling that it won't be Trump versus Biden in November 2024. Oh, wow. Uh, I just have a feeling about it. And I don't, it's not informed by any data. So it, it's probably BS, but I just can't shake that feeling. Uh, that's my prediction number one. I think my prediction number two is that a third party candidate is going to make a bigger difference this year than in any other year. I don't necessarily like that prediction. You said save the parole year probably is, you know, mm-hmm. bigger, bigger difference. Um, yeah, those are my two big predictions.
0: I'll make a, a positive prediction, which is Ruben Gallego is going to win the Senate race in Arizona, uh, which I think is, and I think he's going to be an awesome Senator. And, um, And I think there's going to be some surprises as to which races are competitive. I I don't know what will happen in the Senate race in Missouri, but I think it will be more competitive than people expect, uh, which is Lucas Coates against Josh Hawley. Mm. Oh yeah, that would be great. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's it. That was fun. That was a little bonus episode. happy Friday slash almost holidays. We're we're still going to do more episodes this year, but this was just uh, a fun one, a fun little extra one. Uh, Thanks everybody for listening. Remember we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.